This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. On today's show, we are delighted to have two phenomenal singers on the program, both very different, but both extremely talented and exciting artists. I'm so delighted for you to meet our first guest, Gabby Epstein. She is one of Canada's leading stage and cabaret performers, best known for her outstanding performances, Audrey and Little Shop of Horrors at the Stratford Festival. Next, we have country rock artist and motivational speaker, Susie Corey. After creating and manifesting a meeting with her idol, Axl Rose, from Guns N' Roses, Susie's passion for music was reignited and changed the course of her life and her career. She shares her inspirational story about following your dreams at any age or stage in life. But first, I'm thrilled to welcome musical theatre performer extraordinaire Gabby Epstein to the program. Gabby Epstein is one of Canada's leading stage and cabaret performers, best known for playing Audrey in the 2019 Stratford Festival production of Little Shop of Horrors. She is also known for her role of Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl for the Siegel Center and the Harold Green Jewish Theater. She also was the standby for the role of Girl in Once, which garnered her in the Company Dora Awards for Best Ensemble and Best Production of a Musical. And she has many other wonderful credits, which include uh, playing the understudy of Mrs. Wilkinson in Billy Elliot, the House of Martin Gare Stratford Festival, Prom Queen Siegel Center, Yitzhak and Hedgewig and the Angry Inch, and Paquette Old Lady and Candide with Talk is Free Theater, Seidel in Fiddler on the Roof, and The Little Mermaid Capital Theater, Killer Queen in We Will Rock You, Magnus to Life in the Harold Green Jewish Theater Company, which and she won for that a Dora nomination for Outstanding Performance in a Musical. She was in Blood Brothers, The Sound of Music, Perfect Wedding, Edges. As well, she has even played various Disney princesses all aboard the Disney Cruise Lines and in their original company of Toy Story the Musical. Gabby's CD, Show Off, is available on Spotify, iTunes, and her gabarets have been performed all across North America, garnering her praise such as Best Cabaret of the Year by the Times Square Chronicles in New York City, and her show Gab Sings Babs, I love that title, Gabby Epstein Sings the Songs of Barbara Streisand, debuted at the Toronto Jazz Fest and has been performed all across Ontario and Quebec. Along with her husband, Jeremy Lapom, she is the co-founder creator of the new local Dine In Sing Out, which partners with local restaurants to bring you virtual dinner and show experiences. I'm delighted to welcome Gabby Epstein to Finding Your Bliss. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Judy. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. I'm so glad we could actually do this finally on the show. It's so wonderful to have you. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. Gabby, I saw you perform in a cabaret many, many years ago, and like many, we all knew that you were destined to become a star. And after many years of doing musical theater all across the country, you've got, I'm getting the the goosebumps when I say this, (laughs) that magical call 
and the invitation to audition for Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors at one of the world's most prestigious theaters, the Stratford Festival. Can you tell us how you felt when you first heard about this role and what that audition was like? And just sort of take us back to that audition and paint us a picture of how you prepared and what happened. Oh my goodness, I'm getting the goosebumps just thinking about it as well, just because I miss theater so much right now as well. I know. Um, Audrey has always been one of those just unbelievably iconic female roles in musical theater. I actually had auditioned for that particular show a few times earlier, uh, prior to my Stratford audition. I knew that it was right for me, but I just also knew that some creatives, not all, certainly not all, but some creatives maybe couldn't see past the non-blondness of me or whatever. You know, (laughs) when I walk into the room, you don't necessarily say, there's Audrey, I see it right away. (laughs) So, um, So I thought I had to potentially do some convincing. And so um, the the sort of third audition, the one right before Stratford was for Rainbow Stage, actually, in Winnipeg. And I put on a blonde wig and went into that audition <laughs> with a blonde oh. wig and gave some kind of a nonverbal cue to my director, Ray Hogg, at the time that I was ready to play this role. <laughs> he said he doesn't even remember the wig, all he remembers was my audition. I booked that part. It was just a very short run, just about three weeks or so. And then two years later, this audition for Stratford came up. And, you know, when it came up, I I knew that also Stratford has amazingly talented people there already. So I didn't really think that there was a shot for me. But uh, the audition came in, I was ready. (laughs) Uh, because I'd pl- it was kind of one of those right place, right time moments for me. And I walked in knowing wow. that I was ready for it. When you left the audition, did you know that something great had just happened? Or, or were you just not even able to believe it? You know, I, I did actually. After that first audition, I knew I had a, a callback. And then it was only sort of after that that I knew that the second one was my final callback. <laughs> um, all of the uh, the Seymour's and Audrey's audition together. My very first audition with Seymour was with the man who ended up playing it, Andre Morin. And uh, we did the scene before leading into Suddenly Seymour. And we just embraced at the end of that scene. And we just, (laughs) we kind of knew, we just sort of felt it. And we talked about it a lot that next year that, that we really felt it in that moment that it was, that it was right. Wow, what what an incredible experience. And congratulations on that, by the way, because that's really <laughs> like that's like the apex. It doesn't get much better than this. Your performance as Audrey was spectacular. And in Thank fact, you. all of your reviews were unanimous that you were unquestionably the star of the show. What did it feel like when you were standing on that Avon stage on opening night at the Stratford Festival? playing Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors that very first night. Gosh, you're like making me tear up right now. Just like, <laughs> you know. uh, so I, I'm born and raised in Toronto. And so I grew up with a very supportive, uh, theater-loving family. So I grew up co- going to the Stratford Festival most years. My husband, Jeremy, who you talked about before, is also an actor. And so when we started dating, we would go up and see our friends in shows or just see the Shakespeare's and, you know, every single year. And so it's really been a staple throughout my entire life. And uh, so to actually be there as a leading lady on opening night, um, it's a bit of a blur. My, <laughs> my, um, I, I just, there aren't really words to describe the feeling of it. I sort of had to uh, stay very, very focused on the show itself that night and not really think about 
the the grandness of what was happening around me or else I would have just been a blubbering mess the entire time. Um, I remember on closing night, I couldn't even look my my castmates in the eyes because I knew it would just be <laughs> way too hard for me to, to actually feel the realness of what was going on. So um, I guess just in all of those moments, um, my, my mother gave me really great advice a number of years ago in one of my first big shows. It was closing night and I was just really, really upset that we were closing. And she said, you know, just all, all you can do is enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. Just get up there try and stay present and just enjoy the moment, enjoy what you are doing. And so uh, mm. that's sort of what I, what I had to do, feel the audience's energy. Also on an opening night, you know that everybody's just there supporting you. Yeah. So um, just tried to enjoy myself. And everyone enjoyed because it was just absolutely phenomenal. I'd love our audience <laughs> to enjoy a glimpse of what we all got to see this incredible show and what it's all about. We're going to start by playing a clip from Skid Row, courtesy of the Stratford Festival. This is from Little Shop of Horrors. And I think this is really the first time we meet Audrey, right? This is sort of the beginning of the show when we first meet Audrey in the downtown sequence. Actually, can you set this up for us? You'll do it a lot better than me. <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, I was gonna, oh, sure. Um, we, uh, we, we, we really, we really do just, just meet her. She has maybe a few lines. She's late for work. She has a bruise on her face. We know that we are in sort of a, a, a not so nice area of town and that uh, Mushnik Skid Row Flores is going under. It's not doing so well. People are down on their luck and uh, there's only one thing to do and that's to get out of here. Let's have a listen. When you go downtown, where the guys are trips, downtown, where they rip your slips, downtown, where relationships are no go, down on Skid Row, down on Skid Row, down on Skid Row, down on Skid Row. I love your voice. Gabby, you're so spectacular. We have a clip of your incredible solo somewhere that's green, courtesy of the Stratford Festival. Can you set this up for us? Oh boy. Uh, so uh, as goes with this amazingly lovable and, and vulnerable character, each time we see her through the first half, her situation seems to be getting worse and worse. We get a little glimpse of something that finally for the first time she wants uh, which is a more accurate picture of what it looks like for her if she were to get out of Skid Row, which of course it's so lovable because all she knows is the 50s television shows that that she that she watches from home. She doesn't really have uh, an outside sort of worldly view of what the world is. And so it's this perfect picture of Audrey's utopia, her somewhere that's green. Let's roll that clip. A matchbox of our own. A fence of real chain link A grill out on the patio Disposal in the sink A washer and a dryer And an ironing machine In a tract house that we share Somewhere that's green Thank 
That was so gorgeous, Gabby. I love um, hearing you sing that song. I could hear it over and over again. Uh, <laughs> it, it brings back a lot of memories, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, it's not often in a show, even as a as a leading character, that you really get a moment to just sit on stage or stand on stage and just sing your your truth. And uh, those moments I don't take lightly. It was very, very special. Around the time that you got the role of Audrey in Little Shop, your life was a whirlwind involving a fairy tale romance with your now husband. Can you tell us about that exciting time in your life and about marrying your soulmate, Jeremy LaPomme? Oh, my goodness. So we met, uh, as I said before, Jeremy's an actor and a beautiful singer and comedian and writer. And uh, we met uh, doing a production of Fiddler on the Roof with uh, with Stage West and Mississauga. We uh, courted for, for many years and uh, and got engaged a couple of years before uh, I went to do a Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> we got a great place in the East End in Toronto. Um, we're engaged to be married the next year. And then, of course, I found out just a few weeks after we moved into our place that I was going to be away for the entire next year. <laughs> and so we decided not to postpone our wedding. On a day off, on a Monday of Labor Day weekend, we decided to get married. And wow. um, it was it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> we were apart for a number of months, like about over about five and a half months before wow. we actually got married. So it was really hard, but it made it all that much sweeter. And uh, I got married. And then on a Wednesday, I had a little shot matinee. And I remember it was just mm. sort of all worth it when um, Jeremy could sit in that audience on that oh. Wednesday matinee and I could and I could sing I'm his December bride with looking at Jeremy and I remember thinking this is all okay it was all worth it all worth it so I could <laughs> sing these lines to him right now Oh, that's so fantastic. I love that story. <laughs> I I was fortunate enough, Gabby, thanks to my daughter, Lily, who got us tickets to see a spectacular performance of you performing in a one-woman show in conjunction with the Harold Green Jewish Theatre and Stream Stage, co-produced by Kayla James and Daniel Abramson and with Avery Saltzman, where you did this one-and-a-half-hour show. Now, you're all going to be saying, that's impossible. It's COVID. Well, it was <laughs> outstanding, and it was on live stream. It was on Vimeo. And I have to tell you that not only was the audio and the video quality excellent, I think I mentioned this to you after the show, it felt like the first time that we were in a live theater since COVID began. Can you tell us how this all came to be well, you know, that's what we want. You know, all of these these virtual uh, stream shows are, are never meant to replace live theater. It's just, uh, as many of us said, it's an and rather than an or. To actually sort of have that feeling of having a live the theatrical experience right now is like just beyond uh, anything that we could have asked for. Um, so thank you. That that really means a lot. I, I think all of these these great initiatives have come from 
us being being self-employed our entire lives and and trying to always find a way to make it work you know and so this was a, a really classic example of everybody needing each other and coming together joining forces in the best possible way. At the beginning of this experience, I was feeling a bit lost. Like I sort of didn't have a sense of purpose being a, a performer without a, a place to, to do that. Dan and Kayla, Dan's a writer, Kayla's a choreographer. They're both amazing performers and innovators. And they have this great um, knowledge of technology. And so they decided to, to create essentially a soundstage in their home, um, invest time and money and a lot of energy into having excellent, excellent audio and video quality recording equipment and to invite talent into their home to hmm. create these these very, very high quality live stream shows. And then because of my amazing relationship with Harold Green Jewish Theater, um, I just sort of called up Avery one day and asked him if he was interested. And of course, he was. And, and I love collaborating and working with them. So the three of us just kind of, you know, that the Harold Green needs an audience. So I need a, I need a theater company to, to <laughs> produce it. You know, the just felt like a real yeah, collaborative perfect marriage. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah. wow. We wanted to play to the live experience as well. So it's one thing just to, you know, do a performance in a virtual setting, but to actually feed off of the audience. So involving the chat, you know, um, mm. uh, singing requests from the audience, doing a live request, trying to play around with quick changes and, and using that sort of virtual magic um, to try and enhance the experience. It almost felt like you were feeling the vibe of the audience. That was the coolest thing was mm. just through the chat and through, I don't know, just the magic of theater that they and you all created together. As we were clapping and applauding, my daughter and I were sort of saying to each other, do you think they can hear us? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what it felt like. It was it was really cool. Well, the best was, um, of course, you know, I can't sort of see all of the comments going through the entire time, but I was able to read the transcript of all of the comments afterwards. And and that was just brought me so much joy to see what everybody was saying. Aww. And one of the, the most beautiful comments was at the end, just someone said, I wish you could hear all of our applause right now. Oh, very sweet. Oh, it's so great. You graduated from Montreal's McGill University, which is my hometown. So I can really picture that oh, yeah. with a, a beautiful city with a bachelor of music degree. And you took to the musical stage and the cabaret rooms, making a name for yourself as one of Toronto's leading solo cabaret performers. Did you always know that you were going to be a singer and a musical the theater performer as a young child? Um, Yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I actually started out in music education. Um, I wanted to be a music teacher and I still do teach private singing lessons. That's sort of been my, my main sort of side job for my entire career. But I always loved singing from a very young age. And I think that my folks would agree with me that it was always going to be something to do with music and theater and performing. It's funny, my brother and I talk about this often that uh, I don't ever remember having the conversation with my parents about going into the arts. It was just always a given that we were going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very, very fortunate to have such a supportive family. And I know that. Um, and, and they continue to support me to this very day. 
That's so great. Your brother, for those that don't know, is Jake Epstein, who starred in, in Beautiful on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure of seeing you both perform at Kerner Hall in an ICRF production that focused yes. on Broadway songs. And I was personally involved in putting that together. And you both were phenomenal. So that you really are a musical family. Did this come from your parents or did you and Jake just have this all on your own? This came from my definitely from my parents and from my my extended family. My folks, although not professional performers, um, are very very artistic. Uh, my mom is a writer; she writes uh, Holocaust education chapter books for young adults. And my father is a lawyer, but he sings in his synagogue choir. He plays guitar. They're both very musical. And so, you know, my my grandmother, who I never met, was a piano teacher. And so, I imagine that a lot of our musical um, abilities come from that. But then also nurtured through our lives for sure. Gabby, you also have a fantastic CD out called Show Off and audiences that watched your live stream show got a sneak peek of some of the songs from that album. But for those of you who didn't or weren't fortunate enough to see Gabby perform Show Off, you're going to get a chance right now. I saw you perform Show Off live at Kerner Hall and it was a showstopper and you knocked it out of the ballpark. (laughs) And it it always is every time you sing it. What was interesting in your live stream show is you didn't sing it. We kept saying, where's Show Show Off? So I'm so excited. I, I don't think you sang it in the... Uh, in no, I didn't. And it, it occurred to me only sort of later on in the process as I was putting together my set list. I, I, I sort of only realized it of, of the week of the show. I, you know, I just, I figured, I guess, um, leave them wanting more. That's for part two. Right now, for all of our lucky listeners, I'm so excited that we do have this from your album show off, which is available on iTunes and Spotify. We'll tell you more about that later. Here is a clip of Gabby Epstein, title role from The Drowsy Chaperone. I don't want to show off no more. I don't want to sing tunes no more. I don't want to ride moons no more I don't want to show off I don't want to be svelte no more Make the gentleman melt no more Sing my signature belt no more I don't want to show off Don't try to control me I've made up my mind And that's it Make the gentleman hoot no more I don't want to wear fruit no more I don't want to show off Please, no more attention I've counted to ten And I'm through Adieu You'll never hear this You'll never hear this You'll never hear this Show off. I don't want to show off. I don't want to show 
just love that. <laughs> Thank you for that, Gabby. That was so fabulous. Wow. I, I love doing that song. It was um that song and that arrangement was always something I wanted to put on the CD. And it was actually the person that mastered the CD that suggested I call the entire album show off. And I think it just was a perfect touch to finishing it and selling it and figuring out sort of who I was. No, it's so fantastic. You know, when I was preparing the interview, and this was something I didn't know, um, is that you worked on a Disney cruise playing many <laughs> Disney princesses, including <laughs> Belle and Beauty and the Beast and Ariel and the Little Mermaid. How cool. What was that experience like for you? Oh, my goodness. Like every little girl's dream fantasy Disney experience come true. I remember, you know, all of the shows on the cruise lines are mostly review shows. So you play a number of characters, but my main feature was Belle. And I remember um, being fitted for, for the costumes. And of course, it's Disney, so they go all out, you know. And um, I remember uh, the, the two sort of main Belle dresses and putting on that gorgeous, you know, big gold ball gown. I think it was something like $30,000 I had on me in, in dress. But then, um, <laughs> but then, it, so that was, of course, you know, the first thing that I tried on. And then after that, they had me try on the, the iconic blue bell dress, the one that she, you know, walks and reads in and sings all of her amazing songs. And that was the one that, of course, I started to tear up myself because I looked in the mirror and I was Belle. That was her. It <laughs> was very magical. One of the questions I get a lot from the listeners is, what advice or suggestions do you have for someone who wants to become a musical theater performer? What's your best advice? Because you've really made a career out of this. If you are fortunate enough, and I, and I say that because not everybody necessarily is, if you are fortunate enough to have a grasp on who you are, whether that's as a performer, as a person, as a friend, as a everything, just um, to really be present with who you actually are and what you have to give, um, what makes you unique, what makes you special. It's different from everybody else. So somebody else's path may not actually be what, what works for, for you. And so if you have... Um, if if you are lucky enough to really find focus in on who you are and what makes you special and unique and celebrate that say mm -hmm. this is this is what i have to give to the world um mm -hmm. no one else will be able to replicate that so if you can do that well we will come mm -hmm. out on top 100% what excellent advice. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Part of finding and following your bliss is also improvising and dancing in the moment, no matter what life throws at you. And you've really done that with your husband in this business that you've both created, The New Local, which provides dinner and a show. Can you tell us what this is all about and how it all came oh, to be? Oh, that's great. Thank you for asking about this. Uh, so again, this was that sort of, you know, in, in the beginning, in the in the first couple of months of these COVID times when we were just sort of trying to figure out ways to make it work. And uh, of course, Jeremy and I were actually living together in our home mm -hmm. for a long period of time in our this beautiful East End area of Toronto where we live. And we were seeing all of these amazing little local establishments. Uh, some were, if not closing down, then, then really, really suffering uh, just to try and find 
business around here. And so we uh, thought that we would use our uh, talents, uh, our performing abilities to join forces with some of these restaurants to uh, create, to sort of help each other out and uh, to create virtual dinner and show experiences. So essentially, we uh, each month, we've been doing the monthly right now, um, we partner with a different local restaurant and um, we we offer a, a dinner and show package. We work with the restaurant to create sort of a, a special event menu for the evening. And um, then on the night of the show, you get your food delivered to you or it can be picked up if you live outside of the delivery zone. And um, then along with that, you get your, your stuff delivered or picked up just a little w- bit before the show. And uh, then that evening, you get a private link sent to you uh, with where Jeremy and I will perform a house a little house concert from our home to yours while you all enjoy this food from this wonderful local establishment together. How can people get connected with you to book dinner and a show or just to follow you on social media? Uh, you can follow The New Local uh, on Instagram at the.new.local. Uh, so that's our Instagram handle. And uh, you can email thenewlocalevents at gmail.com. Uh, and that information is also on my personal website, gabbyepstein.com. You can also contact me on Instagram uh, at Gabby Faye Epstein or find me on Facebook. I'm pretty open. Yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty everywhere. Uh, That's so great. What is bliss for Gabby Epstein? Um, I would say bliss is uh, being in a room with my close friends, uh, listening to music, um, sharing songs and stories great food, nice glass of wine, and um, (laughs) lots of laughs. That sounds lovely. That sounds so great. I want to thank you so much for being on the program today, Gabby. It's been so delightful having you. Again, you can follow Gabby on Facebook, Gabby Epstein, and that's G-A-B-I. And you can also follow her on Instagram, Gabby Faye, F-A-Y Epstein, to hear about her upcoming performances. For more news about Gabby, visit her website at GabbyEpstein.com. And of course, as she just mentioned, be sure to check out her new venture of dinner and show at the new local on Instagram, but that's actually at the dot new dot local. Do I have that right? You got it all right. Gabby, it's just been delightful having you. I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was so lovely. Thank you so much, Judy. We are going to go on a short commercial break right now when we come back more with Finding Your Bliss and more music, but a different kind of music with our next guest, country rock artist, Susie Corey. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. 
We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined today by country rock artist Susie Corey. Susie Corey is a Canadian country rock artist who's been described as possessing the lyrical vulnerability and glistening vocals of Emmy Lou Harris while maintaining the powerful delivery of Linda Ronstadt. And it comes as no surprise that alongside Dolly Parton, she cites these country queens as her biggest musical influences. Born in Beirut, Corey's parents moved the family to Toronto when she was only eight months old. And her mother, who was a devoted fan of country music, would continuously play classic country, and Corey found herself singing along. By her teens, she became exposed to hard rock, most notably to Guns N' Roses. And a chance meeting with her idol, Axl Rose, reignited her passion for music and changed the course of her life and career. Corey currently boasts over 65,000 streams on Spotify, 43,000 streams on YouTube, and her music can also currently be heard on Sirius XM. Her story and her music are nothing short of spectacular. And we're going to find out all about it and Susie's motivational speaking and positivity in just a moment. So without further ado, here is Susie Corey. Susie, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Hi, Judy. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here, Susie. You have the most fascinating story. You were born in Beirut. Your parents came to North America when you were only eight months old, and your mother was always a devoted fan of country music. How did this influence your early life and your musical career? You know, it's kind of funny because I think in the beginning of your life, you don't understand how those things will go on to influence you later on in life. Because as I was growing up, I really became a huge fan of, as you mentioned, you know, Guns N' Roses was the first band that really woke me up to wanting to be a performer. And that kind of ignited everything for me. But when I told my parents that's what I wanted to do, they shut it down immediately and said, no, you're (laughs) not getting into that kind of lifestyle Again, because I was approaching it from, you know, the side of rock music and everything that went along with that, which they weren't too happy about. So I ended up getting married, having kids and working myself, you know, my way up the corporate ladder. And it wasn't until recently when I got into music and decided to pursue my passion after all these years um, that I realized it was my mother having country music on in the household that... I gravitated towards that now more so than ever. When I started writing music, the stuff that was coming out of me and being true and genuine to who I was turned out to be country music. (laughs) Oh, fascinating. I want to go back to when you saw Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses perform when you were only 13 years old. What happened at that concert and how did that impact your early desire to become a singer-songwriter? Growing up in school, I was kind of the shy kid. You know, I wasn't the one that was trying to be rebellious or anything like that. And I think something happened with rock music where it gave me a confidence. And the first time I went and saw my first concert ever was Guns N' Roses. And I had to literally beg for two months straight (laughs) for my parents to allow me to go in the first place. And now I even think back and go, what were they thinking letting a 13-year-old go to a concert? (laughs) But, you know, um, it exposed me to a lot of things but most notably watching Axl Rose and that whole band um there was a raw energy that I'd never felt before and I went 
that's what I want to do, you know, to be able to create that for people and give 150% on stage and just put it all out there. I'd never felt what that was like before. And being my first concert, plus it was my favorite band in the whole world. Um, it was just a, an incredible combination and magical night. And I remember leaving from that going, that's it. I found my passion and what I want to do in life. Now, you were 13 years old and you went on to have your second passionate career, which was traveling. And you worked your way up the corporate ladder, eventually becoming a station manager for a commercial airline. That's so cool. I'd love to hear about that period in your life. But before, what happened after that concert and your aviation career? Were you singing? Were you writing? Or did you sort of put it on a back burner? Yeah, it totally went on the back burner. <laughs> and actually, I had put it so far back, I didn't even know it existed anymore. You know, music was always some part of my life, but more as someone who was a listener. You know, it's funny, not only did I get married and have children, but I ended up moving to the Middle East. Talk about getting off your path <laughs> completely. Yeah. Having said that, yeah, the music thing and the dream of wanting to be a performer got totally put to the side completely. And I focused on being a mom. I was excited about being a mother and raising my children. Plus, like you mentioned, you know, aviation was my other passion. I wanted to travel the world and I've been able to do that. So very thankful for that too. And the things you learn, you know, being a part of the corporate ladder and becoming something like a station manager of a major airline, hmm. you know, now it's come to benefit me, even in the music industry. I've been able to do a lot in a very short time because I know how to manage time. I know how to manage myself, how to connect with people, how to network. And that's equally important as the whole writing music and the creative part of it. Absolutely. I, I'm so fascinated uh, by the secret and the law of attraction and the fact that you really managed to manifest a meeting with Axel Rose. Can you tell us the sign that you had when that sort of convinced you to fly to LA and drive to Axel Rose's home in Malibu. And as fate would have it, find him walking down the road just as you were nearing his home. And what was the sign that actually convinced you to do this in the first place? So you really touched on something there when you know you said to me that you are a firm believer, kind of the whole thing of the secret and manifesting. So I think it's easier to have this conversation with you than it might be with some other people. But <laughs> at that time, I didn't understand the whole thing of manifesting. So it's not like I did it intentionally. Having said that, I've always trusted my instinct. And when something tells you so strongly to do it, you have to trust that just follow that as crazy and insane as it might sound to, you know, anybody <laughs> within your circle who even knows you will go, oh my God, she's lost it. You know, and at the time I was reaching one of my milestone birthdays and I remember that it was the only thing I wanted. I just moved back to North America after all those years away and people were thinking I was going to have some kind of party, you know, because now I'm back here in Canada and I'm back with my friends and the people I grew up with. And I remember saying to them, you know what? I, I don't know why, but the one thing I want for my birthday is to meet Axel Rose. <laughs> and I can't explain it. Wow. Um, and I didn't have to. I just knew that it's what I had to do. And I remember booking the ticket and flying out to LA and my friends thinking, I'm that's it. You know, <laughs> she's lost it completely. But I knew better. I just I had a gut feeling that. You know, I mean, what did I have to lose anyways? And that's what kind of my whole premise for everything I've been doing right now is, what do you have to lose? You have to just trust that if something is telling you that strongly to do it, go and do it. 
Absolutely. So you, you get off the flight. I'm trying to understand this. You fly to LA. You, I'm sure, rented a car. I don't think you took an Uber to Axl Rose's house. You probably rented a car and you drive up and you see him actually walking down the street. Can you tell us what happened? So I'm two minutes from the house. I'm making up in my mind what I'm going to say to security or whoever, because he lives in this huge mansion in the Malibu, you know, Canyon and very quiet, secluded area and trying to figure out what I'm going to say to convince them that, you know, number one, it was my birthday. I'd come all the way from Toronto, but not near them <laughs> until like the major <laughs> stalker, which I am not. Um, and, you know, despite what the story sounds like. But literally, I'm two minutes away on the GPS. I can see that. And I saw a gentleman walking, and his back was to me. But he was wearing shorts, and I could see the bottom half of his leg. And I saw a tattoo, and I knew that tattoo because I had it oh. in my bedroom. <laughs> so, you know, it was – I didn't – I just froze. I'm like, I can't believe it. He's here. And luckily for me, I'm just the type of person that no matter what the situation is, I can remain calm. And I did. And so I approached him in a way that, you know, I wasn't scaring him. And I just said, listen, I'm not crazy or anything, but it's my birthday. And I'd actually flown out here to, in hopes of seeing you and possibly taking a picture with you. And I didn't know what to expect because, you know, the reputation of Axel Rose. And he was such a gentleman, so kind, and just said, well, my house is two minutes away. Just go up to the driveway and we'll take a picture there. And we wow. But the crazier part of the story is after we did that, I post the picture. A week later, I'm back in Toronto, and I find out the picture has gone viral all over the internet because at that time, <laughs> nobody had seen Axel for a year and a half, so it was the first photo of him. Oh, my goodness. What a crazy, amazing, fantastic story. I just love that. <laughs> you say that most people might call it a midlife crisis, but you would rather refer to it as a midlife revolution. What did you mean by that? Totally. You know, it's rediscovering who you are because that person that you, I, I think it happens for a lot of women and I don't want to say it's just specifically women, but maybe it's because when I speak to a lot of women, um, I notice that we have that where it happens as, as, at a certain point in your life where you're kind of going back to, if you're lucky enough, to who you were originally, you know, because we have lots of roles that we play in our life. I've played them myself and I continue to, you know, whether you're a wife, a mother, a daughter, and all these different things um, that you kind of along the way, I don't want to say it in a negative way because, you know, it's great to have all those roles, but you lose yourself somehow. And I think the important thing is to try and maintain that. And sometimes it's a very difficult thing to do. But when you're able to rediscover yourself, there's something unbelievable that happens that then your true spirit comes out and the things you're able to do and to achieve and the way you affect people around you is, uh, you know, it's just incredible. You're, you're such an inspiring person. I, I love that also your destiny was very clear. You ended up seated next to Billy Ray Cyrus on a flight. Like how cool is that? And he even asked you to send him your music and he actually texted you some really prophetic words. What were the words and what happened after you sent your music to Billy Ray Cyrus? Yeah, so I was on the plane heading to LA shooting my first music video ever. I'm already so excited and, you know, just good vibes all around. And I find out that he's sitting on the plane from the flight attendant because <laughs> we happened to be chatting and she found out that I do music and she's like, oh, well, you know, Billy Ray's behind you. The irony of that whole story, though, was at the time 
I was kind of um, unsure about following the country path with music. I'd started working with a producer in Los Angeles, Brent Woods, who's amazing, but he's a rocker. Like he's a rock guy. He's worked with Kiss. He works with um, Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. And, you know, he was very insistent on finding a specific sound that was true to who I am. But then that meeting on the plane and having, you know, to sit near Billy Ray Cyrus and having him tell me that he was impressed with what I was doing. He's like, I can't believe you're an independent artist going to LA to shoot a music video and you're doing all this on your own. Send me some of your music. And he gave me his contact number. And at the time I'm thinking, yeah, you know, a lot of people will give you a contact. They'll never contact you again. And I, I sent him a song as soon as I came off the aircraft. And two hours later, I get a text message that says, this song is killer and you can consider me your new fan. <laughs> So we ended up chatting for the next few months, actually. And, you know, we talked on the phone even when I got back to Toronto for a couple of hours. And over the next few months, we were kind of planning the video and he was going to make a cameo in it. But when I shot the video, it was he was unable to come to L.A. And at the time, I didn't know why. But I found out it was because Miley was getting married, his daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Important reason. (laughs) That's very cool. He basically gave you confirmation that you were on the right path, didn't he? Right. And that's the whole thing I say to people, always look for the signs. And you know, not that you're looking for external kind of validation for what you're doing, but there's signs that the universe gives you to go, yep, you're on the right path. Keep going. Susie, you've written and recorded 10 singles, completed three music videos, and even found an avenue for revenue. This is the part I find so cool to offset the cost of uh, the, the radio set royalties. How did you do all of this? And and the revenue part is really cool for people out there who are starting out or who, pe- you know, people who are having a hard time during COVID continuing their music careers, which, you know, is really, really difficult for a lot of people. How were you able to find this avenue for revenue? So I had a very important discussion with someone named Jake Gold, who in the music industry is very highly respected. Um, He's been a manager for some major bands and right now has gotten back together with the Tragically Hip. I don't know what they have, you know, in the works, but he's an incredible person, a very intelligent, smart person. And I was lucky enough to have a very long discussion with him. And during this discussion, you know, he said to me a piece of advice, which I'll never forget. He said, if you're not making money, it's a hobby. And I think that woke me up. Now I share that information with artists and, you know, not to say I'm an expert on the matter, but I have learned a lot again in a very short time, but that's because I focused on that and said, okay, where's the money? You know, was sinking music into film, television, uh, getting it out there on satellite radio, like the Sirius XM, that pays a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it's been able to help me recoup a lot of my costs. Plus, even now, you know, in the times, especially more than ever with COVID, a lot of people have kind of raised their hands up and said, I can't do anything because right now, COVID, COVID. Right. And I'm just thinking it's the exact opposite. The, the playing field has been leveled. You know, whether you're a big name artist or you're an independent artist, you can start to think of creative ways. You know, I came up with this drive-in. I mean, it wasn't myself. I'd read about it, the drive-in concept. But the difference was rather than reading about it and going, oh, that's a nice idea. I jumped on it and went right into making something happen. And now I organize a lot of private shows at people's homes. Do you have a backyard? Yeah. Would you like a show? Great. (laughs) 20 friends together, charging $10 cover. When you're serious about it and you look at it, not just as an artist, you look at it as a business person, you can find the ways to make money off of this and make it a career. 
That's amazing. You are a huge manifester. So just to, to fill this in for the listeners, you were able to organize a drive-in country musical festival for uh, Love Revolution in just two weeks' time, which is evidently unheard of in the industry, but you made it happen. Can you tell us how you did that? Sure. Now, in all fairness, the idea started a month before. Three weeks was when we found the piece of land and then things got going. So I actually started putting it out there with ticket sales and everything two weeks before the festival. And yeah, everybody I told was like, again, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> people who've done festivals are like, it's not doable. I'm like, but you don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> it's totally doable. And so now I'm just more excited to do even bigger things. And, you know, I'm planning right now the next one, which is going to be in Tennessee. So <laughs> You made the very wise and insightful decision, Susie, not to release a whole EP, but a single every few weeks. Can you tell us about that decision? Well, again, it's just, you know, using logic, because if you're building yourself as an artist um, from the get go, people don't know who I am. They're starting to know who I am. And with each song that you put out there, you gain more fans, you know, and you're able to get on because you constantly have something new coming out. And it helped me because had I just put everything out there and then COVID hit, I would have no material. But instead, I had gone to LA in February. And by chance, I shot two music videos, I had four songs ready to go lined up. So when COVID hit, I have all this stuff. And I'm good with material, you know, to put out there and to keep releasing at a time when people stopped releasing. So again, when I talk about the level, the, the playing field becoming level and, you know, you had big name artists who have nothing to put out right now. Well, great, because now you can jump in there as an indie artist and take advantage of that. That's amazing. You're a very positive person, Susie, who is always trying to motivate other people as well. Can you speak to that and to what you talk about as a motivational speaker? Well, it's like the whole idea of, you know, I read the book um, by Simon Sinek know your why, you know, knowing your why you're doing something. And when I first got into this three years ago, it's a lot different than when I was a teenager and I first saw Axl Rose. I wanted that fame, you know, and being famous and being so adored by people. And now as an adult, grown adult with kids of my own, I'm not looking necessarily for the fame. You want something of value to give to people and to offer people and to change people's lives somehow in a positive way. And that's where, again, even the public speaking and the motivational speaking, I got into that by accident. You know, it wasn't something that was planned. By just telling my own story, people can take from that what they like. And hopefully it just inspires them that, look, it's possible. I'm a regular person, a mom with two kids. I had up until a month ago, a full-time job. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, but I, I did all of that and was still able to not neglect the rest of my life. But because when you're doing something you're passionate about, it's not work. That's and as crazy. cliche as that sounds, it's the truth. Absolutely true. I feel a book somewhere in all of this. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. It's one of the first things I started doing when I started having the crazy experiences, you know, and because again, I saw it for more than just the face value of meeting my, yeah, I met a lot of my idols, like even Steven Tyler. That was crazy. I met him in Mexico City and we ended up in the hotel where he was staying and he even came to my room and, and don't go the wrong way with that. <laughs> but I was with my best friend. And we had our door open and he just walked in and we're like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, we chatted with him. Super nice guy. He was there with his girlfriend. So none of that, you know, weird stuff going on. Um, but then when we got to the stadium, 
I ended up, the tickets weren't even in the audience. It was on stage. And, you know, to me, that was just unbelievable to stand there on the side stage, watch the show from that kind of distance. You're only a few couple of feet away. Um, and looking out into an audience of 20,000 people and seeing what that feels like. Again, it taught me that the reason I was there was just to see what it feels like to be in front of 20,000 people. So, you know, it's incredible. It's incredible. What is bliss for Susie Corey? I think it's just knowing who you are, understanding what your purpose is in this life and never doubting it and pursuing it hundred percent. Because again, it's not about you. You know, when, even though it feels like it is and people are like, oh no, that's too selfish when you look at yourself. But the more you know yourself and you stay true to who you are, you're giving people permission to do the same around you because you're showing them what it's like and what it feels like. And what you know, you're putting all your walls down. Well, then people can do the same. So I think that's that's utter bliss. What is the best way to get in touch with Susie Corey? Probably my website, all my social media, it's Susie Corey. Um, my website is www.susiecorey.com. It's S-U-Z-I-K-O-R-Y.com. That's unbelievable. We're going to go on a short commercial break when we come back. More with Susie Corey. And finally, we'll get to hear her latest single, Love Revolution. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zuma Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. Susie, tell us about your latest single, the bluesy gospel-inspired love revolution, and what in your life led you to create this song? You know, a lot of artists will talk about how sometimes a song just comes through them, that you almost feel like you didn't write it yourself. It just came to you. Um, I certainly felt something coming, and I remember going to my keyboard, and I just I started seeing the first few words of that and I sent it to my producer and he loved it and he's like oh my gosh this is you know I love it, the whole feel of it and I explained to him that I just to me it feels like a summer of 67 summer of love kind of vibe 60s you know kind of all about love um, minus the drugs <laughs> <laughs> let's have a listen to love revolution Susie Corey
just loving that song. That was gorgeous, Susie. Congratulations. It's really a fantastic song, Love Revolution, one of Susie's latest singles. We want to thank you so much, Susie, for being on our program, Finding Your Bliss, today. To get in touch with Susie Corey, you can go to her website, susiecorey.com, or you can find her on Susie Corey on Spotify. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. She's everywhere. Susie, uh, really great, fantastic uh, experience talking to you today. Thank you so much. And I really, really appreciate this opportunity. Again, like I was saying, you know, to be able to do this, first of all, the music career is fantastic, but to be able to speak to people about the story behind it, I think is much more important. You're terrific. Thanks so much. Each week, we spotlight a singer, singer-songwriter, or a musician on the show. If you are a singer and you want to be considered to appear on Finding Your Bliss Radio, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit our online magazine at www.findingyourbliss.com. And of course, for the latest and the greatest, follow us at the Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also doing Bliss Coaching. For more information, go to at the Bliss Minute on Instagram and click on the link in my bio to hear all about Finding Your Bliss Coaching. I would like to thank all of my guests for being here today, singers Gabby Epstein and Susie Corey. Also, a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kylie, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. We're going to close out the show today with a short quote. If you can't figure out your purpose, figure out your passion, for your passion will lead you right into your purpose. And that was said by T.D. Jakes. For all of us here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to dream a little, reimagine a little, and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.